In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello and welcome everyone to Beacon of Truth. I am your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. It's great to be back with you again. Uh, we had a little bit of uh, technical challenges. You know, when you travel as much as I do and uh, you know, we uh, didn't, couldn't use hard wire. So things happen. But you know what? We think we got it worked out. Thank you, Jesus. Well, yesterday, um, as you know, I attended the um, funeral of one of my, of a priest who was a, a, a dear mentor of mine when I, during my formative years in, at the University of Notre Dame. He was the rector of our dorm, Holy Cross Hall, Father Patrick Sullivan, uh, CSC, Congregation of Holy Cross. Wonderful man of God, and I, I'm so grateful and so glad that I was able to attend uh, the funeral yesterday. And there were a number of guys from the dorm that were there that uh, that I haven't seen, <laughs> haven't seen in years. Uh, so two of my good friends were there, and you've heard me talk about them before. If you heard my story about how I went from my law enforcement career to full-time speaking, you know that part of that story involved talking to two friends that were also in my wedding, uh, I and and you know Jim and Pat, and you've heard me talk about them in in my talks, and so they both were there, uh, two of my my closest and dearest friends, and uh, and we were also joined by a guy named Jerry, who we call Clark Kent. He looks like Superman. <laughs> Actually, he still does. <laughs> like he has like the dude still looks the same, man. Scary. Uh, and there were a couple other guys that were um, uh, ahead of us uh, in the hall who also, of course, knew and loved Father Pat. So it was just really good to be with them. And and then we uh, went to uh, dinner afterward and met up with another friend who couldn't make the wedding, Kevin, who we affectionately call Guido. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so the four of us had dinner. It was just it was just so good to be with them. And then. Patrick and Jim figured out that the last time the three of us were together was at my wedding because Father Pat married me and my wife, Jim and his wife, and Patrick and his wife. So <laughs> so we were all e e at each other's weddings with Father Pat, and the last time, and you know how, how beautiful that is, the last time the three of us together was with Father Pat at my wedding 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Uh, and it was, I was like, man, I, you know, I've seen, obviously we've seen each other individually, but not together. And, um, and it was, you know, I guess what a wonderful way to come back together again. And I miss those guys, you know, we, oh my goodness, we had so much fun talking about things that happened in the hall and, and, uh, you know, different guys that we had not seen or talked about in so many years. It just brought, my heart was just lifted. I brought back uh, so many wonderful memories of my time at Notre Dame and the friendships that I made and some of the characters that were in the hall and uh, just a beautiful experience. And so please pray for the repose of the soul of Father Patrick Sullivan. And during the burial at, in the, in the, uh, the grave site, one of the priests uh, pointed out that actually that same cemetery, just a couple plots away, is Father Patrick Payton is buried there. And I said, no way. So he took me over to the, the gravesite, and sure enough, the, uh, the, the, the family that prays together stays together. 
uh, I think he's venerable now, actually, uh, Patrick Payton. And um, they said, yeah, if he if he takes that next step, we may have to dig him up, you know, and move him. <laughs> you know, so, But there's all I mean, obviously, people have been there. There's all kinds of rosaries all over the headstone of Father Peyton. And it was just beautiful just to spend a few minutes and just kind of pray at his tomb as well. You know, so um, it's just a, a beautiful day yesterday. And sorry, I couldn't be live with you yesterday, but um, it was really it was really something. So. Thank you for your uh, your patience and your understanding. And look, today we're going to talk about true freedom. Like, what is actual freedom? What does it mean to be free? Because the culture's idea of freedom is is not the the same at all as the church's understanding of freedom. Well, which one makes us free? Being able to do whatever you want. Or the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that today. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call. 833-288-3986. Or email us, beacon at EWTN.com. And yes, I am still on the road. (laughs) It is Lent. So uh, where in the world am I? Well, you know I was uh, at, at Stonehill College. In Boston, that was where the um, the funeral was yesterday. But now I am in Lancaster, South Carolina. You're getting ready to give a talk tonight at Our Lady of Grace Catholic Church. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm already dressed in my suit and my tie. Because as soon a few minutes after the show is over, they're going to pick me up and take me over to the parish. Where I'm going to give my talk on my book. Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. And then uh, then tomorrow I am off to my next location. You want to see where I'm going to be? Uh, just go to my website, deaconharold.com, and click Schedule in the page header. And again, love, love, love meeting members of the EWTN family in person. And we have our crack show team here. We have Matt Gabinski, our call screener. Charles Berry, social media, and Ace is in the place. He's back. How you doing, Ace? I'm good, man. I love hearing you reminisce about, you know, with friends that you went to school with. I had that opportunity on Saturday. It was homecoming for our college. And so seeing people I hadn't seen in 30 years, which made me had to time check and go, wait a minute. It's not been 30 years, but, you know, sadly enough, time has flown by. And uh, it's always great to connect because I love those soul ties with people that you just pick up conversation like, you know, there's no high and by, right? You just pick up like the conversation paused and then you just keep going. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, we were together. And I, in fact, when we were at Guido, the, f- uh, the four of us, we have not been together since graduation, mm. 1988. Yeah. You know, and you look, I'm like, where is the time? I mean, that's just unbelievable that we, you know, we, we didn't see each other for that long. And we just like picked up like we never even left. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, it was so, it was so beautiful. I mean, again, yes, people say, oh, you get tired of traveling, but it's, it's occasions like this that really make it worth it. And I do get to see people that I would normally not get to see when I'm traveling. Yeah. You know, I saw another Notre Dame classmate of mine and friend Kitty when I was in um, when I was in South Dakota. She's awesome, you know. And I I do get to see a number of friends and my family, my, my brothers and my sister. My sister went to the parish mission when I was in um, Montgomery, Alabama, last year. She came to 
all the talks. And she came to weekday mass, and she even went out to dinner with us, uh, with the pa- the pastor and, and the deacons and their wives after the mission, after the last night of the mission. So I, and I do get to see people, and that's such a blessing, especially coming, you know, on on this side of the pandemic where we didn't get a chance to see people. Sure. It's just really nice to connect. And, um, and you know, I, I just want to say to everyone out there, look, really t- the, tell the people that you really care about how much you care about them, how much you love them. Absolutely. You know, we just you just don't know. Life is short. You just know what's going to happen, and it's just a beautiful opportunity to do that. Now, when you have friends or family that come to hear you speak, do you ever change what you're sharing or maybe some of your antidotes that might include them? Like, do you think of something to add because they're there, or do you go, oh, I'm not going to share that story because they're in the room? No, it's, it's just it's, it's organic. If it feels right, if the Holy Spirit uh, moves me to do so, uh, yeah. I, I always leave room for the Holy Spirit to work, that's sure. for sure. And that's why even though I may give the same talk, it's never the same talk. Yeah. Because uh, I'm always asking Holy Spirit, what does this person need? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what does this group of people in front of me need to hear tonight? Yeah. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, stay on this point. Or skip over this and go to this instead. And almost like every single time someone comes to me, oh, my goodness, I thought you were talking to me. I really need to hear that tonight. And I say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for working. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's (laughs) talking, when it's supposed to affect you that way. I I, I hear that all the time with music, leading worship. They're like, did you pick that song? See? Yeah, exactly. That's God moving you, man. (laughs) I just get out of the way. Exactly, exactly. So, again, so excited today to be talking about truth, uh, true freedom. Actually, mm. what is true freedom? Uh, again, and we're going we're gonna to draw, draw a nice picture of this because the freedom in the culture is not the same thing as freedom in our faith in, in Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, I'm, again, we're looking forward. I'm glad to be back with everyone. Again, if you want to be part of the conversation, love to hear from you. 833-288-3986. You know what's coming up next? It's a psalm study. And we're doing one of my favorite strophes of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the, uh, in the Psalter. It's over 100 verses. And I'm going to go through uh, one of my favorite uh, set of strophes from Psalm 119. So beaconoftruth.com is the email if you want to be with us. Or the phone number is part of the conversation give us a call 833-288-3986 or beacon at ewtn.com 
Of course, we want to let you know that uh, as you help us to celebrate and maybe even your own family celebrating the Holy Family with us through the month of February, we're getting a chance to do that with some great gift ideas at EWTNRC.com. Check it out, whether it's uh, novenas, prayers, art, books, all kinds of great uh, rosaries and chaplets, again, available for you at EWTNRC.com. When you get some time, check that out and pick up your gifts today. Well, when you hear that music, it means only one thing. It is time to dive into the Psalms. Our Psalm study today is Psalm 1, well, one of the strophes of Psalm 119. So, of course, uh, Psalm 119 is in Book 5 of the Psalms. So, uh, you know, um, the last uh, 109 to to, uh, uh, 150. Um, This is the Daleth strophe. So these are verses 25 to 32. So Psalm 119 is broken into 22 different segments, um, each segment for one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So Daleth is the fourth um, letter of the alphabet. Uh, and so this is, these are the, it's called the Daleth strophes of Psalm 119. So, you know, it's Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, Hev, Al, Zion, Hate, Take, Yod, Kof, and that's how they're labeled in the Bible, and so what those are, those are the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so Psalm 119 is broken up that way. So, and this is one of the, my favorite ones. But this is also, if you, you heard mentioned before, that um, the, in this translation of the Psalms, the Revised Grail Psalms, there is some wording that loses some of the sweetness. And this is this is one of them, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so the original, well, not the original, but the original Grail translation said, "My uh, so starting at verse uh, twenty-five of Psalm one nineteen, the Daleth Sophi, my soul lies in the dust. By your word, revive me. I love that. But this translation, uh, the Revised Grail says, my soul holds fast to the dust. Revive me by your word." You know, so I love that imagery of my soul lies in the dust as opposed to my soul holds fast to the dust. You know, that that, that the the other translation is just a a little sweeter. I think it's it's a it's better imagery, you know, for the for the psalm. But, you know, we go on. My soul holds fast to the dust by your word. Revive me. So those times that we're feeling low in our life, um, we're, we're, we're feeling in a sense disconnected you know and this this idea of my soul lying in the dust or holding fast to the dust it's it's uh uh imagery for the israelites um psalm 110 is about putting off putting your enemy under your feet so it's kind of like the imagery like or saint michael you, see, remember, you ever seen this beautiful saint michael statue where he's stepping on the head of the serpent that's the sense here. Your soul is holding fast to the dust. So you're low. You're under some kind of oppression. You know, um, not necessarily, not demonic oppression, but there's a sadness going on in your life. And you revive me by your word. Lord, breathe your life back into me again. Almost like Ezekiel with the, with the dead bones. You know how the, uh, the, the bones were strewn all over and Ezekiel's wandering through and then the spirit comes and revives those dead bones again. So we're asking God to revive us. Uh, and it goes on, I declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. 
Right? Uh, so, so you made your will known to God, and he responded to you, teach me your statutes. Lord, again, this is, this is beautiful because this is going to lead right into what we're talking about. What is freedom? What is true freedom? What is authentic freedom? Uh, and so when we ask God to learn his ways, because we know his ways will lead to true freedom. The ways of the Lord is, are going to make us free as opposed to what the culture thinks makes us free, which actually becomes slaves. Uh, we'll, we'll see that uh, in the next segment. But the psalm continues in verse 27. Make me grasp the way of your precepts and I will ponder your wonders. Right, let, gra- Lord, let me grasp your law. In, instead of hearing what your law is and how you want to work in my life and pushing back against it, like, like we do sometimes, I, you know, we think some laws are heteronymous. That means they come from the outside and impose themselves on us. And that's what a lot of people think that God's law is like. It comes from the outside and it imposes itself on us. No, that's not, that's not the truth at all. Um, we, when, when God imposes law, it's, it's just like a parent, right? It's, it's for our good. It's because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. But sometimes in our obstinate, sometimes in our reticence, sometimes when we don't trust enough, you know, it seems like it's something from coming outside, especially if our consciences aren't properly formed, because it seems to be going what we think is the right thing to do. Uh, but if our conscience is properly formed, then it, it, then God's law does seem heteronomous, but it's really not. It's actually God's law that frees us, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, and I will ponder your wonder. So once we grasp the understanding from God and his law, uh, then we, w- then we want to begin to ponder it. We want to, we want to revel in it. You know, we want to, we want to think about it. How, how is this law? Uh, in fact, w- one of the great discoveries that I had reading John Paul too, I really came to understand the faith, the why of the faith, not just the what of the faith, but the why. Once I started reading John Paul too, and I started to understand the why, I then had to ask myself a question. This is a question that so many people also ask. Now that I know that this is true, do I have an obligation and a responsibility to live according to what I know to be true, to align myself with what I know to be true? See, that's, that's the pondering of God's law. My soul pines away with grief. By your word, raise me up. You know, again, kind of going back to that first uh, verse in verse 25, verse 28 kind of mimics it. My soul pines away with grief by your word, raise me up. Again, what, what is going to bring us back to ourselves? The word of the Lord bringing us up. Uh, not the things of the culture, thinking with the mind and the heart of the Lord. Verse 29, keep me from the way of falsehood. Grant me mercy by your law. So again, keep me from the way of falsehood. Again, almost like in our father, lead us not into temptation, right? Uh, well, of course, not, the Lord's not leading us into temptation. Um, do not allow me to be tempted. You know, same thing here. Uh, keep me away. Do not, do not allow me to give in to the falsehood and particularly the falsehood of the culture. <laughs> don't, don't allow me to, to, to give in to the lies, to capitulate to the lies of the culture, even though it may be appealing, even though it may make me feel good, um, even though it may impress other people, uh, keep me away from the falsehood. Grant me mercy by your law. 
Why? Because God's love is merciful. The merciful, uh, uh, sacred heart of Jesus. Uh, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Your decrees I have upheld. See, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to the church. Faithfulness to the laws of the Lord. Faithfulness to the natural moral law. Not faithfulness to my own selfish, self-centered desires. Uh, Not faithful to a culture, a secular culture uh, of uh, of humanism, of uh, a culture of, um, uh, of more relativism. No. The way of faithfulness, faithfulness to Lord, even though it may be hard, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, that, that sometimes that's not easy, but we have to be faithful. I cling to your decrees, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I love that. So, right, because when we sometimes we cling to the law of the Lord, we cling to his mind, we cling to his heart. Let me not be put to shame because people will shame us. You know, people will um, make mock us, they will make fun of us, they will ridicule us because we don't think and act like everybody else in the culture. Well, and also, too, the thing I love about 119 is how it really not only gives us that the 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 outline of how we should live our lives but then also how we should communicate with God because that's always the question right of how am i supposed to be now that i'm a believer or now that i'm following Christ or trying to be more like Jesus this to me kind of if you read as you read it and we like to take the psalms in little pieces right it's digestible that way and with something this long to look at it from that perspective of how to communicate with God how to talk to him how to listen back so it's that pursuit of righteousness of what's going on through that whole passage yeah exactly right um and what is it the pursuit of the pursuit of truth the pursuit of knowledge the pursuit of God yeah. Because th- that's really what it's saying because and, and God assists us on this journey. You know, um, when, when, when we're sometimes we come to a fork in the road, we're not sure what to do. Um, this psalm is saying trust in the Lord, C- call on the Lord. Uh, and when he and when he answers you with his love, with his law, with his precepts, that we have to trust him enough to follow him. Mm-hmm. I love that. I cling. To, I love that. We cling to your decrees. Um uh, and I actually have to look up what the Hebrew says there because it kind of sounds like in Genesis 2, um, uh, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife or clings to his wife. Mm-hmm. The word there is daubak, which means to pursue as to overtake. You know, but actually, you know, I, I, I have to look that up because it, it, it has that sense here. I cling to your decrees. I pursue your decrees, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. And in the last line, I will run the way of your commands. So the idea of the Daubach, the, the pursuit of God's law, the pursuit of God's truth. And then 30, verse 32, I will run the way of your commands. So this idea of running, pursuing uh, God's laws. And I love this last line, you open wide my heart. Mm. I love that. You open wide my heart. How God, the pursuit of God's law, following God's commands, doesn't close our hearts like what the culture does. It actually opens our hearts to what? To do what? To receive. Every, it's that generous, merciful love of God. Our hearts are open to receive everything God wants to give us. And when we receive everything God wants to give us, then we have the faith and the trust and the love 
to be able to become the person who God created us to be. We find our ultimate purpose and meaning for existing. Uh, and you know, I, I tell school kids all the time, there's a reason why you were born at this time. There's a reason why you're at this school. There's a reason why you exist now. God has a plan for you and for only you, you know, and for only you. I love this. So, my friends, we come back. We will dive into the topic for today, true freedom. What does it mean to be free? We part of the part of the conversation. Give us a call, 833-288-3986 or email beacon at ewtn.com. Fifties feel there, you know. Get out the the Jack with T birds, you know. Get our little leather jackets out, and slick back, you know. Get a little Danny Zuko action going on there for you. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and the voice you just heard was our show team producer, Ace McKay. Uh, he's here along with our call screener, Matt Gabinski, and our social media expert, Charles Berry. And today we're talking about true. Freedom. What does it mean to be truly free? When you be part of the conversation, give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email beacon at EWTN.com. All right. So you have to look at the relationship between truth and freedom. Um, because if you look into our culture, to what truth and freedom is, is, is diametrically opposed to what truth and freedom is in our faith. So let's look at the relationship between truth and freedom. Let's look at first at truth. So we receive our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy sacrifice of the mass. We receive him in word and in sacrament. We receive him in the word that prepares our hearts, our minds, and our souls to then receive him again, body, blood, soul, divinity, and the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. Having received our Lord in word and in sacrament, we are then impelled forth we are set forth from the church to be Eucharist to the world. But when we step outside of the walls of the church, we can't stay in church. We have to go back into the real world, back into diaper changes and back into traffic and back into homework and back into uh, our, our jobs. We have to go and live our faith in the real world. There's a, the culture has an idea of truth and our faith has an idea of truth. So let's step out of the church and back into the culture. So what does the culture tell us every day about truth? The culture says truth is whatever you decided to be. Truth is subjective. And so we even have cultural affirmations for that, don't we? That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. That may be your truth, but that's not my truth or my personal favorite. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. What? What is that? See, here's the thing. When, when truth, truth in the culture is not rooted in anything, it's, there's, there's no solid foundation upon which truth can be built. Why? It's built on the shifting sands of more relativism and subjective truth and subjectivism. You know, on my, when, when my mind and my heart shift to whatever cultural norms are in place, whatever cultural constructs 
are are uh, are are built. That's what I follow. Jesus warns us about this in the scriptures. He says, if you build your house, uh, if if you don't listen to me and my word, you are like the man who built his house on sand. The winds came, the rains came, and it knocked that house down. And great was the fall of it. That's exactly what's happening to our young people today. We they, they, They're laying their faith on the, on the shifting sands of the culture. And so when the, the wind of transgenderism comes and the rains of abortion and euthanasia and fetal stem cell research and all these other things, uh, critical race theory, all that, that are, 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 are uh, inundating our young people, their minds and their hearts, they're, they're, they're laying their foundational truth on the shifting sands of relativism. And, and, they, and their faith falls, and great is the fall of it. Right? Uh, as opposed to, because look, that's what the culture has to offer them, right? It's like, or Plato. Remember Plato, you open the can and the Plato pops out. You can stretch and twist that Plato into any shape that you want it. And that's what the culture says truth is. Uh, you can just change it, manipulate it into whatever you decide it to be. You know, and, and that's that, but that's all they have to offer our young people. Nothing. Just sand and Play-Doh. Now, if we step out of the uh step out of church into our one holy Catholic apostolic faith. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth, the truth. So what is truth? Truth is not a philosophical construct. Truth is not an idea. Truth ultimately is a person. John 14, 6. The way, the truth, and life. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is God himself, is truth. Uh, and, And he is the foundation upon which we build our lives. Jesus also says, if you is the man who builds his house on a solid foundation, the winds came and the rains came, and that house stood strong and firm. And that's exactly what we need to do. Christ gives us everything that we need in, in word and in sacrament and in the teachings of the church, in, in the catechism and in the, the, the dogmatic teachings of the church, everything that we need to be able to stand strong and firm against this culture. Here's the problem. We're afraid to be called names. We're afraid to be um, ridiculed. I mean, look, nobody likes that, okay? Let's be real. I don't like it when I get these uh, nasty emails from people because I'm not afraid to speak the beauty of the truth in love. Uh, Again, it's the truth, but it's in love, but it's going to be the truth, the truth that sets us free. You know, yeah, I don't like that, but you know what? I'm not going to back down. I'm not, and then, when I get things like that or when things like that happen to us, I'm not going to say, well, okay, well, uh, I, I better change my style of speaking because it doesn't appeal to people. Well, you know, I think I'm going to acquiesce and not talk about this anymore because it's difficult for people to hear. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to tone it down a bit because uh, people, so less people will criticize. Look, Jesus told the truth and they killed him. I mean, and he's not asking us to die, at least in this country, um, but he's asking us to stand strong and firm in our faith. Well, and also even elaborate more on that, because I I feel like people don't feel empowered to share their story, because, again, while you speak a certain way and with a certain emphasis and dynamicness, I speak differently with my stories and my tone, and, and we're meant to 
you know, collectively win people into the kingdom, right? That's that's what makes us unique and unique in Christ. People think that they have to completely abandon, you know, who they are by following Jesus. And actually, it only enhances that. Yeah, because it's not ultimately it's not about the styles, about the content. What what are you sharing with people Amen. that are going to bring them closer to the Lord? Like I give you an example, like my style is 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 uh, very different than Adam Bly. You know, Adam Bly is a demonologist guy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Archdiocese of Pittsburgh. He does talks, and I've um, seen Adam speak live, and he walks around with an iPad. He's talking about devil and demons and stuff, and and obviously he can't be animated talking about that kind of stuff. Right. And he just he, he's just kind of like monotone and just walks around. And you would think it's boring, but it's not. His content is so good yeah. that it engages you. I mean, I sit there going, dang, this is great. This is awesome. <laughs> but his style is very different from me. But the thing, we have to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to be true to the person that God created us to be. Mm-hmm. But the important thing, Ace, and you nailed it, but we, no matter how God calls us to do it, we have to be able to share our stories, our witness of, of how God's love and how God's truth frees us. Mm-hmm. That, that's the key. Yep. And so the, what's the connection with freedom now? Jesus Christ said the truth will set you free. Ah, now let's look at freedom. Back in the culture, let's step back into the culture again. What's freedom in the culture? I'm free to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. And if you don't let me do whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to call you names. So what kind of names do they call us who are not afraid to stand up for our Catholic faith? You're bigoted. You're closed-minded. You're homophobic. You don't appreciate diversity. You know, uh, uh, all these things they throw in your face for making you feel guilty for just simply living our Catholic faith, living the truth of the faith and love. Um, and the reason why they yell and scream and call us names because they have no argument. The bottom line is they have no argument. But they want you so caught up in the emotion that you don't think. See, that's the strategy. You, I don't want to be called that name. You're so, and you're so worried about being defensive. And so now you're not thinking. You're just reacting emotionally. And you get nowhere that way. Look, I let people call me. They want to call me names, yell and scream. Please go ahead because when you're done, I'm going to make you think. I'm going to make you think because that's what God's love does. That's what God's truth does. Uh, so, so again, freedom. And, and here, here's the ironic part. Here's the ironic part. Freedom in the culture. The very things that the culture says you have to have to be happy, free, and fulfilled, you become enslaved to. Money, sex, pleasure. All the things you they'd say, well, if you just have all this money, then you'll be free. If you have this kind of job, you'll be free. You'll be, what, what's the expression we use? You'll be set for life. Well, what I'm thinking about is what happens after life is over. <laughs> you know, because most of, uh, most of uh, our life is going to be spent in eternity with God. That's where, our, in fact, I would argue that's where our life actually truly begins. Once we, once we get to heaven. But here, we, we spend this time on earth trying to get to eternal life. So, yeah, we could be set for life. What does Jesus says? The guy who buys the barn and stocks the barn, he's going to be dead the next day. Then what? Can't take it with you, you know? So, so, that, so the freedom that the culture offers is not really free. It's actually slavery. 
slavery to passions, slavery to emotions, slavery to material things of the world, slavery to pleasure, pornography, all that, all that's tied in to the so-called freedom of the culture. Now, what's our freedom in our faith? Jesus says uh, that authentic freedom is rooted in the obedience of faith. It's listening to the voice of God and allowing that voice to change our life. Allowing that voice to change our life. Because when our wants, our needs, our hopes, our desires, our dreams, our will is one and in communion with the will of God, our will and God's will are one, now we're truly free. Now we're truly free. When, when we're doing God's will in our life, we're, we're freely and lovingly doing God's will, now we're free. Why? Because now we can become the person who God created us to be. Now our purpose for existing can be fulfilled. Now God can work. God can work. Remember, remember um, Jesus, we just heard in the gospel, Jesus uh, healed the uh, leper. And he said, don't go and don't go, you know, just keep it to you. Don't go around telling everybody. What did the dude do? do? He went around and started telling everybody. And what happened? Jesus could not do his work. He could not enter a town openly. He had to stay on the outskirts of town and people had to come there. He couldn't do his work the way he wanted to because the guy didn't uh, follow what Jesus asked him to do. So, and the same thing happens in our life. When, When we try to do our will, um, in opposition to God's will, then then God cannot fulfill His purpose. He He will not. He will never force us to do anything that is against our will. But um, but and I I learned that lesson myself. You know, we had to. I was scared when God was asking me to leave my career and to speak full time. I was scared to death. Um, but but it's it's that. But my love had to <clears throat> had to overcome the fear so I could be free. Yeah. Well, and speak to into the fact, because I, I feel like a lot of times the resistance that we're up against, you know, well, I'm following God. Why is all these things? Because we're still trying to swim in the direction of the stream that he's told us, no, I, I don't want you to go that way anymore. Or I never wanted you to go in that direction. But yet we think because, well, I pray every day and I go to mass and, I, and all these things that somehow magically everything comes together the way we want where really it's not even so much that the world's even coming at us. We're just going in the direction God never intended. Yeah, exactly. Um, because we're, we're and, and the thing is, I think sometimes we do that because we want to be safe. Yeah. You know, if I just, if I just do, I, I can give you an example. I was talking to someone the other day who um, is struggling at work because although they like their job and it's the job that they're doing to support their family, this um, the cultural agenda, cultural construct is being pushed on them about putting certain you know, uh, the, the rainbow flag on the desk or um, at the end of e- at the end of your email, putting a pronoun or whatever or calling one person they, you know, so all these things are kind of being imposed from the outside. And obviously they want to live according to their their uh, properly formed Catholic conscience. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, so do, do they do they acquiesce? And do they give in? Because they know that that's not true. They know it's not true. But what, what uh, does God have something better for them? Or do, well, I'll, just, I'll just sit here and just put my head down because I got to provide for my family. And that's the fear that I had. How am I going to make up 
uh, uh, the kind of income I'm making now talking about Jesus. You know, I got a family, I got a mortgage, you know. Uh, and, I mean, those are real things. I mean, mm-hmm. those are real things we have to consider. But, what, but here's the thing. Once we live in God's freedom, then God will provide for our needs. Because God will not allow us to follow his will if he doesn't provide everything to us to fulfill that will. Yeah. Right? And, and so we have to be able to trust that God's freedom will provide everything that we need so that his will can be done in our lives. And, and if your big concern is taking care of your family, then, then God will make sure that that happens. Um, uh, but we, again, we have to really discern uh, the, the, the power of God's freedom. I'll give you an example because, you know, Ace, we like to use music examples because we're both musicians, right? Sure. Here's one for you. So, so you know, a violin has four strings, right? Yeah. So, so let's say one of the, now, the culture looking at that string on the violin says, look at that string. That string's not free. Look how tight it's wound around the body of the violin. Look how tight it is. Oh, it can't even do anything. Mm-hmm. So we have to free it. See, the the string is being controlled by the commandments and the moral codes and the rules and the regulations of the violin, you know, the catechisms of the violin. So that's why the string's not free. It's being controlled by by all these things. We have to free it. So the culture walk up to the tuning peg, loosen the tuning peg, take the string off of the tuning peg, off the nut, off the fretboard, off the bridge, and lay it down next to the violin. And the culture would stand back and go, ah, now the string is free. It's mm-hmm. no longer controlled by the body and the rules and the commandments and the catechisms and the moral codes of the violin. The string is now free to do whatever it wants. But, Ace, what is the string now free to do, my friend? It's free to fall away and never be used again. Right. It can't do anything. Yep. It, so what's it good for? Nothing. Yep. It's free to it's free to do not it can't do anything. And that's the problem with the freedom of the culture. It's not really freedom. Because because that that string can't do it. It's now it's now useless. And if we continue to live our lives according to the thinking of the culture where truth is whatever I want and freedom is whatever I want, we're going to end up living the life of that string, a life of emptiness a life of uselessness, a life of nothingness. And we see this in the culture all the time. I'm unhappy, I need a, I need a, a better trophy wife. I'm unhappy, I need a, I need a faster, more, more uh, 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 sleek car. Yeah. I'm unhappy, I need a bigger house. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy, I need more money. More, 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 more. Never satisfies that desire and hunger. Why? Because the desire and hunger is for Jesus Christ. Amen. And nothing in this culture, nothing in this world will satisfy the deepest longing and desires of our hearts except for God. Now, we, as people of faith, will look at that string and say, that string's not free. String can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So what we do, we put it back on the bridge, back on the fretboard, over the nut, into the tuning peg, and we would allow the, the, the catechisms and the moral codes and virtue and the scriptures and the commandments to tune us to the perfect pitch for which we were created. Hmm. <laughs> now when you play that string, not only is the string in tune, because remember what Paul says, we are part of the body of Christ. So the string is not played in isolation. 
The string only makes sense and has purpose when it's played with the other strings. Now, the, when it's played in harmony with the other strings, now the entire instrument has purpose and yeah. has meaning and can fulfill. See, that's how God's freedom works, yep. not in isolation. It works as part of a family. That's why in the family, it's, God created man. He created a family in the beginning. And then in the end, blessed are those who are called to the wedding supper of the Lamb, the, the, the marriage feast of heaven, family. See, so in a sense, marriage is, are the bookends of Scripture. Uh, you know, that's the, in, in a sense, it's, it's not obviously it's not a sacrament in Genesis. Right. But uh, in a sense, it's a seed form of the sacrament of matrimony in Genesis fulfillment in Revelation 19, 9. So uh, that tells us something about about the importance of family and importance of being together that we're not is we're not in isolation like the culture wants us to be. It's only when we're in harmony with with the other members of our family or, and our faith family. Yeah. Um, then our lives have purpose, then our lives have meaning, then our lives make sense, and then God's freedom is able to, um, to really allow us uh, to, to live in a way that's commensurate with his will. Yeah. Well, someone learning to be a team player, wanting to be on Team USA, actually, Erica Shoheski is going to join Blessed to Play, uh, talking with Ron Meyer this weekend. So you don't want to miss out on that as uh, you can join us right here on EWTN Radio Sunday afternoon, 430 Eastern Time. And again, on demand when you download our mobile app in the App Store. All right. And we've got uh, Bob on the line. Uh, I think Bob... uh uh, I'm not sure if he has a question or wants to make a statement, but Bob from Massachusetts, you are on with uh, Deacon Harold on Beacon of Truth. Deacon Harold, you're awesome. I've seen you on TV. I'll have to sit down and watch one of your uh, seminars one day. I've been, I'm not Catholic, but I love the Catholic faith. Um, and uh, I do have a, a heart and a love for the Catholics. And I just see a little, uh, everything you said was true, but I just want to take it to a higher level when it comes to your priests and bishops and your mm-hmm. confirmations and your sacraments, mm-hmm. and that I believe that the truth, Jesus is the truth, the Son of God who came from heaven, the Word of God, and, and He is the truth, and He sets you free. And, and I, I believe that the, the younger people, the lower level, and even the upper level, we have to put on the armor of God. So coming more from a Protestant background, we always had that picture of a Roman soldier who had the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the, he walked in peace. His boots were set in peace, you know, in love. Amen. And yes, uh, Ephesians and chapter he had six. The, he had the sword. He had the sword of the word of God. But so, with all charity to you know the the bishops, where you need to stand firm, where you need to have continuing education or an in, input, is is with the upper. You know, like I've been to some confirmations and. I compare like the confirmation to the altar call in the Protestant Church. You know, because the mm-hmm. bishop lays his hands on that person at confirmation, is supposed to impart the Holy Spirit. Yes. So when I'm with my Catholic friends, I say, you know, out of the, it's hard for me to say, but you know, exactly. But you know, I said, I when I, if you've ever witnessed and, and have testimonies of Protestants who, and even some of your best Catholics like uh, Han. Scott Hahn and some of the other ones are are dynamite Catholic people because they were born again and Holy Spirit filled. 
So when you have when you're born again from above, you know you're born naturally, but you got to be born from above, like through that confirmation process. If that doesn't take place, then you don't have that sin killing power. You don't have that overcoming power that you need when you do step out of the church. So for people that are born again like yourself, and you're Holy Spirit filled, and you have that armor, then that's how you survive out there. But then when you when you have this group of bishops and cardinals. And even the Pope, like when Pelosi wasn't allowed communion in California. Okay, yeah, I see what, I see what you're saying, Bob. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying here. And you're right. I mean, the, the grace of the sacraments work when we cooperate with the grace of the sacrament, right? When we cooperate with the grace. That's where the power of the sacrament lies. Um, so, yes, we receive uh, the, the Holy Spirit in baptism, and confirmation is a completion of of uh, uh, the completion of baptism, and those are two of the three sacraments, along with holy orders, that leave an indelible mark on the soul. And so, confirmation is kind of like putting on that armor, right? Saint Augustine talks about that in receiving the sacrament of confirmation. Prayers us for battle out in the real world, and and I love your allusions to uh, Ephesians chapter six, where Saint Paul describes the Roman soldiers' uniforms and talk about putting us to armor of God. So we have to be prepared to go out there and, and to fight. And our bishops, you know, we have to pray for them. We have to fast for them. You know, they are our spiritual fathers. You know, but, but ultimately, though, um, the, responsibility falls, the responsibility falls to us to freely cooperate with God's will in, in our own lives, to discover what that is. It's, it's not just our job. What is our vocation? What is our vocation? For example, I think about the... Um, uh, the football player on the Chiefs, who's he's the kicker, but he's also an evangelist. He's also going out there talking about the beat of his Catholic faith. You know, so it's both and. All right, well, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about feminine spirituality. And again, we're talking about feminine spirituality tomorrow. Uh, please keep, I will keep you all in my prayers, especially for the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, may Almighty God bless you, keep you, and protect you in his truth and love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>